Hi, everyone. I'm Nick Bertha, and I'm one of the second-year residents here at Penn State Hershey Medical Center. Welcome to today's episode of Ortho Radio. Today, we have with us Dr. Robert Gallo, uh, here to discuss ACL grafts. Dr. Gallo was one of our sports attendings here, and he has done hundreds of ACLs in his career. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So kind of just as a little bit of background going into this, ACL injuries are still one of the most common injuries that we see in sports. Estimated prevalence of one in every 3,000 Americans and more than 3% of athletes in a four-year span of sporting activities. While there are plenty of things to discuss in terms of ACL injuries, including management and physical exam and prehab, I wanted to take some time today and really touch upon graft selection for ACL reconstruction. The treatment for ACL tears has very much evolved over time. The mainstay of treatment for years was non-op treatments uh, with rest and subsequent rehab. This didn't have particularly good outcomes, and patients had persistent instability uh, and knee pain, and they were at high risk for having intraarticular injuries such as meniscus tears. Back in the 1850s, the first procedure that was uh, performed uh, was by an English surgeon where he did a ligament repair, but these uh, proved to be fairly inadequate due to insufficient blood supply. That's when the idea of performing an ACL reconstruction came about, and uh, in 1917, one of the first tissues used was the fascia lata for doing an ACL replacement. Nowadays, we have many different types of grafts. We use uh, various autographs from quad tendons, bone patellar bone autographs, and hamstring autographs, as well as various uh, allografts. The first autograph, actually, that was used was the quad tendon uh, back in 1935. Dr. Gallo, what experience do you have with the quad tendon graft? Is this something that you find you use frequently? So I use quad tendon relatively infrequently. Uh, a lot of others are really starting. To, it's really probably the most popular increase uh, in graph usage. So if you look at the the trends, quadri- there's been a big spike in quadriceps uh, tendon grafts, and some of it's due to the fixation techniques are a little bit better. Um, my, my experience is a little bit limited. I've kind of reserved judgment until we see longer-term outcome studies, specifically that compare it to patellar tendon and hamstring tendon. Yeah, I, I know that that's become more popular in recent. Uh, you, you mentioned that you feel it's probably from the fixation. How, how so? What do you think makes that uh, useful for the quad tendon? So with with hamstring tendon and quadriceps tendon, there's at least one end of the graft that's going to be fixed with soft tissue to bone, as opposed to patellar tendon, you're going to have both, both ends of the graft are going to be fixed bone to bone, which is going to give you a little bit more firm compression of an interference screw. So the quad tendon, it's more popular probably to not take a piece of the patella and just take a soft tissue graft. So, you know, there's concerns about trying to fix a graft, a soft tissue graft in a tunnel. So some of the new fixations, we've really gotten better at our fixation buttons and then sutures to hold the graft to the fixation button. Do do you find, does it make any difference between using the suture button versus an interference screw or uh, is it kind of personal preference? So I think the studies would show that the, the buttons are probably a little bit stronger for the soft tissue graft just because it's a little bit harder for that graft to slip when there's cortical fixation. So the button's lodging on that hard bone uh, and it just tends to slip less as opposed to a screw trying to fix soft tissue. So the soft tissue can can either tear on the the threads of the screw or just slip out. That's interesting. So actually, you know, it's, it, it's funny. I, I think a lot of times people think, uh, you know, having the two bone plugs is going to be the best option because you have bone that's going to integrate into bone, but it sounds like that may not necessarily be the case. Well, it is when there's bone to bone, when it's a patellar tendon graft, but when you're talking about hamstring graft and soft tissue to bone, that's a little bit different. Sure, sure. Do you, do you ever have patients that come in concerned about developing quad weakness after harvesting part of the quad tendon? or? You know, usually that's not 
um, people aren't usually concerned about the quad weakness. They probably should be, but they're usually just so concerned about the injury and how to fix it and what are the long-term consequences. They're not, most of them are not, have not thought about, you know, the first six months after surgery in terms of their quad strength. So no one, it's, it's a great question. Um, and that's really my, one of my big concerns about the quadriceps function with a quadriceps tendon graft. I think there's some studies that have shown that it probably is not as big of an issue as, as you think it might be. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I know I would be coming in wondering what would be happening to my quad tendon uh, and whether or not it would have weakness afterwards or have higher risk of ruptures. And it's a significant portion. When you take the quad tendon, you know, the, the quad tendons I've harvested, it's a pretty significant portion of the overall tendon and you have to go up pretty high. So you've got to get at least eight centimeters of graft. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fairly substantial amount. In your experience, do you find that doing a bone patellar bone autograft has the same overall effectiveness as doing a quad tendon autograft? So I think the you know, it's, it's hard to really compare the two because there aren't great studies, especially when you compare hamstring to patellar tendon. There's a ton of studies on that. I would say most of the studies that are out there are pretty equivalent in, ter- in terms of outcome. So you know, I don't think there's a big difference in outcome. If, it's just there's more of them for patellar tendons. You know, it's a little bit more of a known entity. Sure. It seems like for a long period of time that the bone patellar bone was really the, the go-to and the, the graft of choice. Do you, you know, with the, with the bone patellar bone autographs, the books always talk about developing anterior knee pain from harvesting the graft. Uh, do you find that you're having a lot of patients that are developing anterior knee pain? I have not had as much of a problem as I thought I would going into practice. I've been in practice 12 years, and I thought that was going to be a big complaint, and it really isn't, has not been as much of a complaint as I thought. That said, I'm, I'm pretty specific on who I do the patellar tendon autographed on. So if it was a clergy member or a carpenter or someone who I know is going to be on their knees, I'm probably not going to use that graft. Okay. Uh, that's, that's very interesting. So really kind of targeting there. Um, that's uh, quite interesting. How about with the uh, hamstring autograph? Is that something that you find you're using frequently? I do. I, I use hamstring quite a bit. Uh, I tend to use that in, in uh, the younger uh, population who is, whose physis are nearing closure. So you just want to put soft tissue across their growth plate. And the other group are the active 30, 40, and 50-year-olds who don't really want cadaver graft, but also don't want the, the donor site morbidity of patellar tendon graft. So it sounds like you use the hamstring more in your younger population, I guess. The very young and then the the weekend warrior type. Gotcha. Okay. Do you find, I know that, you know, kind of when they were using the hamstring autograft uh, that you can do a certain number of strands and make it four strands and theoretically kind of recreate a, a similar double bundle as that you have with the native ACL. Do you think that this contributes to the uh, effectiveness of the hamstring autograft? Do you think the bundles matter? I don't with a hamstring because it's not that close. You know, you're still going through the same tunnel. I think the reason why people say that it's stronger is because it's when you look at the cross-sectional area, it's larger. So your patellar tendon is more of a flat tendon, whereas the four strands of the hamstring are are bundled. So pi r squared is going to be bigger for for the hamstring tendon. Sure. Makes sense. A bigger cylinder is going to be stronger than a smaller cylinder. You know, I, I know oftentimes, you know, we look at these graphs and, you know, especially in a lot of our reading material and study material, we always see them mention the, you know, the strength and the stiffness of these graphs. Do you think that that plays a role into graph selection or is, uh, you know, how does that actually factor into what we do with these strengths? Does it 
better to have a higher strength or having something similar to your native ACL? You know, I always try and go with the higher strength. I think the issue is what are you giving up? So you could get a really strong patellar tendon graft if you took more of it. You would only take about 10 millimeters width. If you took like 12 or 15, obviously you'd be giving up something on the patellar tendon side, um, but you'd gain an ACL graft strength. So yeah, I think you do. There's a, It definitely comes into play with hamstrings. So if your diameter of the hamstring is less than, than eight, then we really start thinking about supplementing that graft with a, with a piece of cadaver graft okay. because of the strength. That's really neat. I didn't realize that that was a way that you can incorporate the cadaver allografts into our ACL graft algorithm. So who, what, what patient population do you find that you're using the cadaver uh, allografts on besides for that sort of supplementation? So I usually don't consider it for a primary ACL in someone under 35 unless they're extremely inactive and in unhealthy. So you use them for people who don't want donor site morbidity and aren't so concerned about the graft strength. People are having some like subjective instability, but aren't you know trying to play any sports. Okay, have you found? I know that there's a lot of different allografts that you you can theoretically use a patellar tendon. You can use an Achilles tendon. Do you find that this matters particularly, or just something that's more robust? You know, there's a couple studies on that, and it seems like Achilles might be a little bit stronger than patellar tendon. But I don't think the data is convincing one way or the other. A lot of it just depends on what you're comfortable with fixation-wise. And what, what do you find that you use most frequently? I typically use Achilles tendon allograft just because you don't have to worry about graft tunnel mismatch. So with patellar tendon, the graft you have to choose has to be the same size as the person. You know, you know when you have your own patellar tendon, you can match it. Sure. But if you take someone else's, you might get this really short person, you get this really long graft, and then you have half the bone plug sticking out of the tunnel. Gotcha. Gotcha. I know for uh, some prior studies for hamstring autographs, uh, data suggested that they have longer recovery times. Is that something that you find that you see with the hamstring grafts? Or? I typically don't rehab them longer. So they're both, most are going to go back at nine months if they hit the functional criteria. But I have not seen that. I think the concern would be is the graft tunnel interface. Like, is that healed well enough? And that's probably some people are a little bit concerned about that. So as long as it's healed, it's probably not a concern. Do, do you find that you alter the uh, rehab after the surgery based on what graft you use, or do you think keep things fairly consistent? The only difference is I usually start therapy right at like the day after or two days after for a patellar tendon autograph because the fixation is so good. Whereas hamstring, I usually wait a week or two to start therapy just to let it scar in just a little bit. And that's completely anecdotal. There's no science to, to back that up. <laughs> sure. Theoretically, that could be a good benefit if you're able to start rehab earlier. You know, I, I think oftentimes, you know, we look at these graphs and I, I think there's been a, a drive to kind of create something that's more akin to uh, the native ACL. I guess I wonder how much does that really matter? Is it just more about creating a strong graft? You know, it would be ideal if you could take a ligament and recreate a ligament. You know, the tendon does undergo the ligamentization over the course of, you know, nine months to a year. Uh, so I, I don't know that you're ever going to find anything quite as similar, but patellar tendon is as close to a ligament as you can get without being a ligament. In talking about being as close to a ligament as you can get, I've actually seen some new research about actually trying to do some repair of the ligament using a bridge enhanced ACL repair. Is this something that you're familiar with or have heard about? So there are a couple different forms of, of that. There's a, um, some people use an internal brace where they use a really strong suture to kind of augment the graft and serve as a strut uh, inside the knee while that graft is healing. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing they do is 
they'll repair the ACL and then they'll wrap a membrane around it. And there's some NIH studies, and I don't know if that's the specific one you're talking about. Yeah, I, I just think that our techniques are so good right now, the outcomes are so good, that it's hard for me to experiment on something else, knowing that you're going to get a good outcome if you do Yeah. a patellar tendon graft or a hamstring graft. Sure, yeah, I mean, that's fair. You know, I, I think, especially from a patient perspective, I can imagine myself thinking, well, hey, if, you know, if you can recreate my... ACL and I don't have to actually have any sort of tendon graft that would be ideal and that would be nice but I totally see your point you know if you're creating something that's strong why why mess with that it's about consistency so with all these ACL you just want consistency and if you you know we get probably 90% good to excellent results no matter what graft you use mm. for the most part it's, it's very interesting I'll be interested to see kind of how some of that research kind of plays out moving into the future and whether or not doing other ligamentous repairs like this can be used in, in other settings such as about the elbow or so on and so forth. One of the issues they've had with those is in the past they used different synthetic grafts like the Dacron graft, and they all do well for like five years. And same with ACL repairs when they did them in the past. The problem is it's like a tire. You know, over time, that'll when it's repetitive cyclic loading, it'll wear out. And then what's happening is they get all kinds of debris in the knee causes terrible synovitis mm. oh wow so that's kind of why there's some hesitancy gotcha okay well yeah that's uh definitely a concern and you know I, I i definitely agree with you then if you're able to still do the reconstruction and not have to worry about that probably sounds like a much better option so you kind of mentioned a little bit when we were talking about uh, the bone patellar bone autograft as your patient selection. But what kind of goes into your preoperative patient selection? Kind of what helps you decide what graft you want to use for who? You kind of touched a little bit upon this. So the first thing is going to be age and the status of the growth plates. You know, so if they have completely wide open growth plates, then that changes everything. You're probably not going to go through the growth plates with your tunnels at all. So then you're going to be then you're going to throw another graft in there, something like the tensor fasciolata or iliotibial band graft. Yeah. So you're going to take something like that that you can wrap and do uh, a different technique where you're not using growth plates. Then if it's if they're kind of partially closed and they're going to close in the next year or two, then I'm thinking soft tissue. Okay. So then you're, I'm probably doing a hamstring or depending on the if they have an MCL injury, then I'll probably go with a quad tendon because I don't want to take anything from the medial side of the knee that might help with stability. Okay. And then if, they have, if they're an athlete, growth plates are closed, younger athlete, higher risk of re-tear, then I'm going to go with patellar tendon. Okay. And then as they start to get in the 20s, 30s, 40s, a lot of it's based on their activity level. That's when I tend to shift to the hamstring tendon autograft. And then in the older, older group, you know, like for ACL older, older, it's like 50, <laughs> 60. Um, that's when I'm going to Achilles tendon allograft or other allograft. Okay, so there's definitely some things to consider preoperatively to see what the best option is. How about you? You kind of mentioned a little bit here with athletes. Do you, do you find that you change anything based on like very high level athletes or based on sport that they play? Does that play a factor at all? Yeah. So like, the, if it's a big contact sport or a sport that's known to have high ACL retail rates, such as uh, basketball, women's basketball, women's soccer, I really try try and steer them towards patellar tendon. Because that tends to have the lowest retail rate of all the graphs. You know, hams, quadriceps excluded because we just don't have a lot of studies on that. And then certain sports, like I've had a couple college athletes who are going to play tennis for one more year. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they really need a patellar tendon graft. They just want a graft that's going to make them, allow them to play sports recreationally. So that's when I'll go like hamstring. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes, that makes good sense kind of targeting to whoever the exact patient population is. All right, as we get towards the end here, I'd like to kind of summarize overall where we are. 
overall, you know, it sounds like there's a lot that goes on with these graphs as far as selection, as far as their pros and cons to all of them. And it sounds like you have a lot of good reasons to use uh, one or another. I guess I'll just open it up. Is there any other remarks that you'd like to make about kind of the graph selection? You know, I think there's a lot that goes into that. And I think if whether you're a orthopedic resident or if you're a patient, you know, I think it's behooves you to understand each one and the benefits and risks of each. And I think the big thing is the side effect profile for each one of them. And that's why a lot of times I'll choose which one I choose. Hmm. And just the hamstring tends to have a little bit less serious side effects than patellar tendon. You know, though patellar tendon side effects are pretty serious ones are pretty rare, like a patella fracture, patella sure, tendon yeah. rupture, they exist. So you just understand the risks and the potential benefits. And the more that you can do, the more you can offer people, the more that that's been offered to you, probably the better outcome you're going to have. Well, fantastic. Uh, well, thanks for being with us uh, today, Dr. Gallo. I really appreciate you taking the time and chatting with us. Uh, I think that was very informative about kind of learning a little bit more about uh, ACL graphs. Thank you. Honored to be here. Yeah, well, thank you so much. We uh, hope you enjoyed today's episode of Ortho Radio. Please feel free to leave us comments and send us feedback at orthoradio.nick at gmail.com. We are open to any new topics or suggestions moving forward. Until next time, thanks.